Hey, thanks for tuning in into the City Life Church podcast. We are a church in San Francisco and we exist so that people that are far from God will encounter His presence and experience the life that only Christ offers. We pray that this word will challenge you and encourage you in your walk of faith with Jesus. Hey, what's going on, City Life Church family? Welcome to Palm Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us together today. We're going to have a great day together. For all of you watching from around the world, shout out to our friends in the Philippines. Tuning in, Veronica Roel, we love you. Our friends in Brazil, our friends in Texas, our friends in Arizona. What's going on, Noel? Our friends in Ireland and from around the globe. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that today you will be blessed. We've been in a phenomenal season and a series called Complete. We've been preaching recently on the topic of how to grow from being uh, believers into disciples. Now, we use the analogy of Christians being kind of like cars. And if there was a car assembly line, when we we're birthed into the kingdom of God, there's like, well, let me show you some pictures because I think sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Check out these, these pictures here on the screen. So we have right here. The assembly line right over here. And uh, not that church is like a mechanical thing, but we are a work in progress. And then we've got... I don't know where you've parked your car before, but has this ever happened to you here in San Francisco where you show up and it's like, hey, I got a great car, but what happened to my wheels? You know, a lot of Christians, they're kind of like, hey, you got all kinds of Christianese going on, but like you're going nowhere fast. Why? Because you're missing some wheels. And as the team is moving quickly through these pictures, help your boy out. Um, this is a Christian that's just trying to, trying to get by, getting through. You know what I'm saying? Like they love Jesus and uh, they need some healing, maybe a, an encounter retreat or something because they're missing a door or at least a window, I should say. And perhaps they're going the wrong way. This dude right here, it's like, hey, um, I don't know what happened to him. Like he, he probably got offended by somebody in church or maybe a leader or something, but he got all bent out of shape and he's just trying to get some duct tape to keep him going. You know what I'm saying? And then this guy right here, he needs a care group, y'all, because it's like he's kind of like he's a half a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like part, part in the world, part in the church, pray for his soul. And then <laughs> and then we got like this dude right here. It's like, man, bruh, like. Like, hey, the door is wide open. His life is wide open to both the things of God and the things of the world. All the elements. He's exposed. Somebody pray for this Christian. Another dude parked at the wrong part of town because he's got a huge engine. A dope looking call on his life. And it even says freshly on the side of his car, but he's got no wheels. Like, what happened? There's a lot of Christians that talk a big game, but they're not going nowhere. This dude here has been to Bible college or something because he's got all kinds of gauges. He knows a lot about everything. And um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not such a good thing. But um, yeah, he's got a lot of buttons and people push his buttons left and right. And then finally, back to the assembly line, because we are a work in progress. All of us, we start from scratch and we continue to grow every day in becoming all that God has called us to be. So we've been in this series called Complete. And it comes from this passage in James chapter 1. Let me read it to you from the message. And it says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into an open or into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And the NLT says, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
So this last year, man, we had all kinds of pressures. And it wasn't just one storm. It was like multiple storms from every direction. And we, we had the squeeze. The squeeze was, was put on. And some good things came out and some things that weren't so good were exposed that were within our hearts. But God talks about these different times and he uses challenges to help us grow. The tragedy would be, would be this, that if we went through this entire season, which was hell, and we get to the other side and we didn't receive the blessing that came from the test. You know that in every test, there is a blessing. The problem is this, if you don't know how to capitalize on the test or in the moment, chances are you're going to have to go through that test again. So you might as well learn and get something out of this, this difficult season. And what happens is that God actually uses these difficult moments to help grow us. When it comes to tests, we don't oftentimes sign up for them. Life happens. Out of nowhere, boom, curveball. Like, where did that come from? Jesus, I love you. You are my champion. But how, how did this happen? And all of a sudden now you're going through a season where you're being tested again. You're being stretched. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I'm actually doing something in and through your life because I want you to become even more mature. I want you to become complete, lacking nothing. So we've been exploring from the book um, 10, written by, by uh, Pastor Dennis Rouse, and our, our entire church has been going through care groups and our Sunday services, exploring what it means to grow from the life of a believer into a disciple. Now, if you're watching online, I've already shouted out some care group leaders, but I love celebrating all of our care group leaders. This is our last week of care groups for this season. So if you're tuning in right now, could you let us know who is your care group leader? Just let us know in the comment section right there. Uh, Chelsea was saying, that's good. More mature, more complete. Come on, Chelsea, preach with the preacher today. Um, Hank is saying, lack nothing. People are commenting. Um, Teresa is saying, hey, BB, hugs, my friend. All right, send some hugs to people that are watching all around. But who is your care group leader? Why do you love being a part of their care group? Let us know in the comment section right here. Because we've been exploring together what it means to grow and become full disciples. A lot of people, they're just satisfied and they're content being saved. They're happy being a believer. But the journey of life is much more than just believing in Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus. And that is the journey of a disciple. So we're exploring the 10 qualities or characteristics of a disciple. How do, you, how do you know that someone is truly a disciple? Well, there are some telltale signs, and we've explored eight qualities already. Let me recap them briefly with you, and then today we're going to uh, teach the last two. The first quality that we see in the life of a disciple is this. A disciple is passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focal point. They are more passionate about Jesus than anything else. More passionate about Jesus than sports than, than uh, entertainment, than friendships. Jesus is the main thing. A disciple, number two, it has extraordinary love for people. Number three, a disciple has the heart of a servant. And I'm getting some, some folks saying, hey, my small group leader, my care group leader, Brian and Silvana, we love them. Roel, they're saying Angie. And uh, Teresa is saying Beto Nicole. Someone said Guillermo and Teresa. And uh, Ben is saying Lauren and Casey are the best. Cecilia is saying the Castillos. Man, we are stacked, y'all. We got an all-star lineup of amazing leaders. We love these leaders, and we appreciate them, why they're helping the team out. Here's another characteristic of a disciple, number four. A disciple is sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit. They're not led by their feelings or emotions or circumstances or culture around them. They are led by the Spirit of God. Number five, a disciple is governed by the authority of God's Word. The Bible is the final authority, the final say on all matters of life, right? Number six, a disciple lives morally pure. 
That's a very important thing. We live, we're led by the Spirit of God, and we live morally pure. Number seven, a disciple is evangelistically bold. Not crazy bold and stupid bold, but evangelistically bold. And then number eight, a disciple engages in biblical community. And again, we're talking about small groups. We're talking about care groups. And um, man, we love, again, Nicola Saint, Pastor Isaac and Silvana, they're leading the team. Shout out to Pastor Isaac and our small groups director, Silvana. They're amazing. Um, and, and Richard says, Guillermo is the best because he is so knowledgeable. We love Guillermo. He's an incredible man of God. So many amazing leaders indeed. We need to do life not just alone, but we need to do life in community. Last week, that's what we explored. A true disciple is one who lives not just for themselves, but they live together because together everyone advances and everyone grows. Let me give you the final two qualities today as we wrap up this series, and um, I think this is going to be very helpful. Quality number nine is this. A disciple is just and generous. A disciple is just and generous. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus is teaching, and he's expounding, and he's talking about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, and he's explaining that, hey, you know, man looks at the outside, but God sees the heart. What comes from the heart is even more important than what people see with their natural eyes. And he begins to expound on this specific topic. He says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, especially in Pacifica where we have rust destroying everything. Come on, somebody, Daily City. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He says, wherever your treasures are, there your heart's going to be attached. Can I remind you once again, you want to know where your priorities are? If you want to know where your treasures truly are, Look at where you spend most of your time and where you spend most of your money. That's the indicator. You want to find out where your treasures truly are. Your treasures are, are connected to your heart. Look at where you spend your time and look at where you spend your money. Now, many of us, we spend perhaps a large, a large portion of our finances on housing. If you live in the Bay Area, <laughs> the struggle is real. It's expensive to live out here. But around the world, housing is usually one of the higher bills. But if you're a parent, perhaps a new parent, and, and Jeremy, you guys just had a baby. Well, this is number three for y'all, but a brand new baby. You're about to have baby number two. City Life, y'all, is growing quickly. I mean, we are expanding. Preach and populate, you all. But you know that when you have babies, diapers are expensive. And all of a sudden, you know, shout out Pastor David and Aaron. Like, life gets more complicated. Your PG&E bill goes up. Come on, somebody. Housing goes up. Expenses, food, it all goes up. Look at where you spend your money. That, that reflects your priority. If all of a sudden you're noticing that you're spending a lot of money on entertainment, it's like that's where your heart is attached. Nothing wrong with entertainment per se, but your heart is handcuffed to the treasures that are most dear to you, most important to you. And um, when Jesus preached, the Bible actually records 33 parables. Parables are stories that Jesus would teach. Now, I'm a visual guy. I love, I love pictures. I love movies. I like to, to watch some great documentaries. I, I, I dig it. Jesus would teach and he would actually teach through stories many times. Why? Because he wanted to paint this picture. And a lot of people were like, man, this guy, he's amazing how he communicates. Of the parables that he taught, of the 33 parables that he taught, 18 of them. If I do my math correctly, I think that's more than half, right? Yeah, okay. So more than half of the stories that he told were on the topic of money and treasures. What? He actually talked more about money than heaven. He talked more about money than hell. He talked more about money than relationships. 
Why was he so emphatic? Why was he talking about treasures and finances and money so much? Why? It's because he knew that if he could get to your heart, he could get the message to your heart. And he was actually hitting those points that are dearest to people. Finances are attached to people's hearts. So he was talking about a value system. Now, I, I want to remind you, money is the number one competition for your heart. Money, not other people, money, finances. When you slow down and you think about the grind, when you think about the hustle, when you think about the pressure, why is it that there's so much pressure in the world? Because a lot of people are not in the pursuit of happiness. They're in the pursuit of advancement. They're trying to accumulate more. They're trying to achieve more. And I listen to different podcasts. I listen to different communicators. I read books. And it's amazing because time and time again, people will say this. It's not the amount of money you got because you could be a billionaire and still feel incomplete. Money does not complete you. Money satisfies you perhaps temporarily, but then all of a sudden you get this itch. It's like, man, I need, I, I, I need more money. I need to accumulate even more. And you find yourself driven to advance more and it never satisfies. It's a bottomless pit. It's amazing because years ago, my wife and I, we took a team to the Philippines and uh, we went to some very humble places and we stayed in some very humble uh, homes, huts, houses. And I remember these people, they didn't have a whole lot and yet they were filled with joy and they prepared meals for us all day long. I'd wake up sometimes at four in the morning and the mama was out there. The grandma was prepping some food for us early in the morning. Like, dude, it's 430. She couldn't wait to share with us the goodness of that land. And all of a sudden we'd have breakfast and then we'd have lunch and then we'd have Marienda or whatever the, the, the late snack was called. Then we have dinner. Then we have the fifth meal and the sixth meal. Come on, somebody. I love me some Filipino culture, some Filipino food. You know what I'm saying? Delicious. And out of the abundance of what was in their heart, they would give us their best. Some of the places that we stayed at, they didn't have utensils. So they were sharing one community spoon. Pastor, you have the spoon. I'm like, I'm not worthy. <laughs> and yet it wasn't about what they had physically or materialistically speaking. It was something that they wanted to express from their heart. And they were expressing it through food. That is one of my love languages. Come on, somebody. When it comes to life, people are so driven to accumulate more finances. And Jesus knew that. Why? Because it hits the core of our hearts. Your heart is connected to your finances. So he's preaching on about this. Number one competition for your heart is money. First Timothy, Paul says it like this in six, uh, uh, chapter six, verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money itself is not evil. Money itself, like, dude, how many of you, come on, let me know in chat, in, in the comment section, you would rather have more money than less money. Just put some little emojis, hands up, right? So having more money, that's, that can be a good thing. That, that's not necessarily bad. Money is neutral. It's like, it's, it's, it's used, you know, for good or for evil. But the love of money, which means this, this, this pursuit of more, this pursuit as though money is going to satisfy, meet all of our needs, that's what becomes a sin. And that verse goes on to say, and it says, even some of the faith have wandered. Why? Because their eyes were on Jesus for a moment, but all of a sudden the love of money has caused them to drift and they've drifted away from their calling and their purpose. Here's the thought. If the pursuit of money drives and dominates you, that then is a sin. If the pursuit of money dominates you, meaning that's all you can think of, you're so like overwhelmed and it drives you. Listen, we will go through times where financially things are tough. This last year was tough on many people. So it's not like we could stop thinking about finances. We think about it. Why? Because we need to pay some bills. 
But if this causes you to be dominated by this, where it just, it, it takes complete control, where you're constantly stressing out and you're overwhelmed about finances, then what it indicates is that it's not Jesus that's on the throne of your life, it's other stuff. If Jesus is Lord, even though things are difficult, you can still trust him, say, God, I don't get it. I'm not sure exactly how you're going to like pull this off, but God, I trust you. You've got this. Jesus would actually say this. He said, it is impossible for you to serve both God and money. He says, you can only have one master. When it comes to God, God won't share. He's not like that. It's like you either follow him or you follow something or someone else, but you can't serve two masters. So Jesus was challenging them. Listen, where is your heart? What dominates you? What, what consumes your mind? And perhaps you're watching right now, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling kind of bad right now. I'm feeling a little convicted. I've been worrying a lot about finances. Listen, God is a God of new beginnings, fresh starts. His mercies are new every morning. So if that's where you're at, and I've been there before where it's like, man, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills, but I trust you. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. That is not a sin. Just go to the correct source. Go to Jesus and just say, God, here I am. I need some help. And just cast your cares and your worries upon him. Why the Bible says? Because he'll care for you. So here's a contrast, the life of a believer versus the one of, uh, of a disciple. Look, look at some of the comparisons. Believers, they believe that money is theirs to control, while disciples, they know that it's God's to control. So that's why even, even as we talk about like tithing, when we, when we bring our tithes to the Lord, how many of you know that if you are a disciple of Jesus, everything in your life already belongs to him? Everything. It all, it's like, listen, you, you, are, uh, you are a manager at best, but you're not the owner. Why? Because you've given your life to him and you've received his life. So if you've truly have surrendered to him, your life is no longer your own. Therefore, what you own is not yours. It's, it belongs to the owner who owns you. So if he is the owner, we don't give God a tithe. You actually don't give God a tithe. If we're technically correct, we simply return to him the tithe. It already belongs to him. When Elena and I go out to some fancy dinners from time to time, and it's been a long minute because of COVID. And we go to certain restaurants, and all of a sudden, there's nowhere to park, especially in San Francisco. Then we would do something fancy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the dinner's going to be expensive. Then I got to pay for the valet as well. But that valet would take our car, and he would park us somewhere. Who knows where? Somewhere in San Francisco. And then we're done with dinner. I come outside, and I've got this little ticket. And I would just wave that ticket. Someone would run up. I'll be right back, sir. And then moments later, ta -ta, that dude did not give me my car. I'm the one that was still paying the lease payments on that car. That car belongs to me, not to him. He is returning something to me that belongs to me, not to him. And the little that I can do is like, hey, here's a tip, my man. Thank you. When it comes to our finances, your tithe doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And the Bible says, honor the Lord with the first. Honor the Lord with the first and best. Honor the Lord with bringing the tithes to him. So giving of our hearts, the, the life of generosity, it goes even beyond the tithe. Believers, they're stuck tipping God, whereas disciples, they love tithing. Why? Because it's a lifestyle. It's a recognition. God is the most important. He asks for the tithe. The least that I can do is return a portion of what already belongs to him. I heard a loud amen in the building and a loud amen in the comment section. Come on. We bring or return is what BB's telling us online. We bring or return. We bring it to God. We return it to him because it already belongs to him. Um, here's another one. 
um, believers, they think, how much can I possibly accumulate? Whereas disciples, they think, how can I make a difference in someone else's life with what I've got? Oftentimes the believer, listen, we, we, we like to have our toys. We like to be able to upgrade. We like to be able to have the latest, whatever. That's cool. But we don't live just for ourselves. Jesus said it is more blessed. In other words, more enjoyable to give than it is to receive. Not to say that receiving isn't fun. Man, you hooked me up with some, some like some sweet, grateful, like gear. I'm like, come on now. That was, that was awesome. I love receiving it. Don't get me wrong. Keep on blessing the brother if you want. <laughs> but giving it is actually more enjoyable than even receiving it. Come on, somebody. Thank you for the, for the love, my man, Jeremy. It's like, listen, receiving is good, but giving is even more enjoyable. When you live in that lifestyle where it's not about how much I can accumulate for myself, but God, how can I be a conduit of your blessings? How can I be used by you to be a blessing in other people's lives? Then you partner with God and he loves being generous. And he says, I want you to be generous too. When we partner with him, that's the life of a disciple. That's the life of a disciple. There's many other comparisons that I could bring, but at the end of the day, it's about your value system. Who are you truly living for? When you think about it, who is it that you're living for? Are you living for yourself? Or are you living to honor God and help others? I love our community of faith and I love what God is doing here. Last week I shared with you um, a story from Scott and Amy Gass. They lead a phenomenal care group and they, they've walked through a journey with different ones families that were moving out to another, another county, to another city, uh, a, a dear sister that's moving out of state, uh, but also partnering with, with a couple who's been battling some health situations, Dennis and Elizabeth. It's been a brutal time, but the care group loves them. Partner with them. I'm going to brag about another care group, and I'll leave the, the leader anonymous, but they know who they are. But there were was, there was some people in their, their group, in this care group, that were going through some real tough financial challenges. The care group leader challenged the group, and as a group just collectively began to invest and sacrificially began to give to help one of their members get through this financial challenge that they've been experiencing. It is very difficult. And, and when I heard the stories of how people sacrificially, they didn't have a lot of extra money to give, but sacrificially they chose to go without certain things. Why? Because they wanted to help someone in their group that was suffering financially. So they sacrificed of their own finances rather than accumulating for themselves. They said, let's help out. That right there is an example of what it means to live, not just for yourself, but to live for others. That's the example that we find in scripture. So I love you. Leaders, you know who you are. Care group leaders, you guys are amazing. That is the church family that we're part of. A generous church, a church that cares for one another. I commend you. I salute you. You are amazing. Finally, the 10th quality of a disciple. We've been exploring the qualities of a disciple. The 10th one would be this. A disciple lives on purpose. You're not here by accident. God created you. He formed you. He knew you. Before you were even conceived, the Bible says that God knew you. God knew your name. Before the clock began to tick, God already knew that he was going to bring you into this world for this season, and he's got a purpose for your life. It's not like God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had a huddle like, oh my gosh, uh, Johnny and Tamba, they're having a boy now. Like, what are we going to have? Uh, what's the plan for him? Uh, his name will be Tommy. That's a good name. And uh, no, they actually already knew. God already knew the need. Therefore, he created Tommy to fill that need. God already knew 
everything before, before things even happened, before the world was spoken into existence, God already knew. And he purposed that all of us will live on this planet with a purpose and on purpose. A true disciple isn't just guessing their way through life. A, tr a true disciple is following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we continue to discover purpose. We continue to discover meaning. This is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, chapter five of Ephesians. It says this, he says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Come on, somebody, that'll preach right there. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't be stupid. <laughs> but understand what the Lord wants you to do. There's unfortunately too many Christians that they love God. They're happy because, hey, I'm a believer. I got my ticket to heaven. Hey, I'm going to heaven. I'm born again. But it's not about just escaping this world, but it's talking. The Bible tells us to live on purpose. We have a plan, a mission that God has for our lives. We're not here to just suck up oxygen and get through and just survive, but we're here to thrive. We're here to make a difference. We're here to leave a mark. When your life is over, when someday you're buried in the ground and all of a sudden people are talking about your life, what will you be remembered for? It wasn't about how many sneakers you had. It wasn't about how much swag you had. It wasn't about your education, your academic endeavors, or how, how far you climbed in the corporate ladder. None of that will matter. What really matters is, did you have an impact in other people's lives? Is there an influence? What difference are you making in people's lives? You were created with a purpose and for a purpose. Why are we here? A disciple understands I'm living with a greater purpose than just getting through or getting by. Too many people, unfortunately, they're simply existing, as we preached a few months ago, but they're not living. Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. Believers, they will simply add a little bit of Jesus. Let me sprinkle a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They sprinkle a little bit of Jesus to a path that they've already chosen. And then they ask God, God, will you bless what I'm doing? <laughs> Last night, E-Dog, my sixth grader, helping with cameras today. He says, I want to I cook dinner for the family because uh, Erica is down on spring break from college and she's going back to, to, to college this afternoon up in Portland. And he says, I want to prep, prep my new chicken meal that I've got. I got some drumsticks that are just the bomb. So, so he's like, mom, I need some chicken drums. So Elena's like, I already had other plans. And he's like, scrap the plans. I need to prep my meal for my sister. She's like, all right. So Elena goes and gets the chicken. And he brings out all, all the savory, all the different sauces and, 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 and everything. And he gets all the different like ingredients. And, and like, I, like, how'd you do that? He gets all the different things. He throws it in this big giant Ziploc bag. And he's got all the different like sauces marinating for a while. And then he got some ham and he like did this whole ham deal and uh, some honey glazed, uh, whatever you call that ham thing that you did that was delicious and some healthy broccoli and rice. I think one of the sisters helped with some rice. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, we got this meal in front of us. I'm like, whoo, bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that is within me. I looked at that meal and that was delicious. Had he simply just baked the chicken without the seasoning, it would have been bland. It, it would have had its nutrients, but it would have been boring. But he added all the different little spices and he added all the different like marinades and different things. And by the end of the day, all of us were looking at each other going, bruh, well done. That was so good. See, and what happens is though, is a lot of Christians, what they want is 
They want their own lives to be the main ingredient and Jesus being the spice. But listen, when it comes to life, Jesus is the main ingredient and everything else is the spice. He is the main entree, the main course. And yet too many of us, we settle for just having a little bit of God moments here, a little bit of God experiences over there. And we try to, we try to squeeze God into our busy schedules. And then we get on our knees and say, God, please, would you bless my decisions? See, that's the life of a follower and only only a believer, but a disciple doesn't say, God, bless my decisions. The disciple comes in and prays, says, God, what is your decision? What is your plan for my life? Not my will, but your will be done. God, I'm not here to live for myself. I'm here to live for you. And I want to live on purpose and I want to make a difference in people's lives. So rather than baking the loaf and asking God to just simply butter it up for you, say, God, would you bake your loaf? Would you allow me and grant me the privilege of just playing a little part in this master plan that you have? The part that I play isn't that important, God. At the end of the day, it's all about you. See, a disciple understands that right there. It's not building your own name and your own fame, checking your ego and your logo at the door. It's about Jesus being glorified in your life. When people look at you, they say, man, there's something different about you. Pastor David, there's something glowing about you. Was it that sun in South Lake Tahoe yesterday or was that Jesus that just radiates through you today in this moment? <laughs> a disciple asks God, is the path that I'm on the one that you've chosen for me? God, am I on the right course? Am I living in such a way that it brings honor to you? God, I want to stay the course. In this book that we've all been reading together as a church, the 10 qualities of a disciple, the writer, he gives us five levels of life five level, levels of life. Quickly, level number one would be this. Level one, doing what you hate. There's a lot of people, they're living and they're doing what they hate. I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate this. I hate that. They're not living the abundant life. That's level number one. That's a sucky level to be in. If you're in that level right now, there's more. Number two, the second level would be this, doing what you do. So maybe it's not good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I'm just, I'm kind of getting by. I'm getting through. That's still not the ideal. Number three is better. Number three is this. It's doing what you love. There's a lot of people that are like, dude, I love doing what I do. I love it. But there's even more. Number, level, uh, level number four would be this. It's doing what God loves. See, that's the disciple right here. You move from being a believer into a disciple when you're actually doing what God loves. And then the ideal level, and this is the, the home run, the grand slam. This is what we're all striving for. Level number five is when you're doing what you and God loves. See, and that's the key right there. God, I don't want to just do what I love. I want to do what you love, and I want to love that too. There's a verse in Psalms that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I used to read that verse and I used to get confused because it's like, man, if I, if I, if I delight myself in God, okay, God, I love you. I think that means maybe, maybe that means I worship you, God. God, I worship you. Okay, so now God, can you give me what I want? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So it's kind of like that Christmas list. You know, the kids say, dad or mom or, or Santa, um, this is my wish list for, for Christmas. I need these 10 things, PS5 and great gear, some new Jordans. It's like whatever that list would be, that's what I want. And I used to think that if I would worship God and pay my quote unquote spiritual dues, then he would give me those things that were on my wish list. But that's not what the verse means. 
It says, delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, be consumed with God. And then he will place his desires inside of you. As you give yourself fully to God, and that's the life of a disciple. A disciple is not living for themselves, but as they pursue God wholeheartedly, they're passionately pursuing Jesus. Then what happens is this. It's not that they don't have desires anymore, but God places new and better desires within them. And then when you compare God's desires to what your desires used to be, you're like, nah, that's like, that's like the previous version. That's not as good. I would rather have these desires because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans for us, they're better than our plans. So as we delight ourselves in God and as a disciple, as we pursue him and we're consumed with that drive, then he places his desire. That's the place to be. Loving where you're at because God loves it too. That's the level that I'm striving to, to reach. And hopefully as you're watching, you're being challenged. Hopefully that's your desire as well. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. You're not here by chance. A couple months ago, you heard us preach this. You were created to honor God, to reach people and to grow people. As you partner with God and you're helping others grow in their faith and you're saying, hey, bro, I love you. Or hey, sis, praise God that you love Jesus. Let me help you become a disciple. Why don't you walk with me? And as you begin to challenge them and encourage them and they begin to walk with you, all of a sudden you find a greater sense of fulfillment. Why? Because you're living on purpose. You're not just here living for yourself, but you're here making a difference in other people's lives. Later this year and all throughout the year, you're going to hear us preach about this theme of what it means to reach people and grow people. And our staff already knows this. Our pastoral team knows this. All of our team leads and directors know this right here. But what we're about to do is this. And Pastor David preached this a few weeks ago where he preached, listen, there's different ways for us to be discipled and mentored. You can be discipled one to many, meaning there's a communicator like right now and many people are tuning in and you're being discipled passively through this sermon right now. But then there's one to few and that happens in small groups. We're in a small group in a context of just a few people together. You're growing even more. More growth happens in small groups than Sunday services. But then we're going to take the ante and we're going we're gonna to up the ante even more because we're building a culture where everyone within our church, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna create a platform, if you will, where everyone in our church will have one-to-one -one discipleship available. And we're going to expound on this and what it means to actually have somebody that, that is praying for you daily, someone that cares for you daily. And we're working within a team and it starts from the top and it works its way all throughout our congregation where everyone knows more than like the old school TV show where everyone knows your name at Cheers. Come on, somebody at that bar. Everyone knows your name and they know where you're at and they know what you're going through and they care about you. They're not here to control you, but they're here to partner with you and help you continue to grow. My goal and our dream for our church is by the end of this year that everybody would have a mentor that they're walking with. And then not only that, but we're going to expound and teach on this, this principle right here. Everyone should have a coach and everyone should be a coach. I don't care if you've been safe for two days. You now have some material that you can share with somebody else. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. You most definitely should be a coach. You have life experiences, but everyone should have a coach, someone that can speak into your life. And then everyone should be a coach, help someone else that is brand new to faith. So you're going to be hearing about that. Why? Because we were created on purpose with a purpose. We're going to make a difference. Here at City Life, it's our passion to lead people to become fully alive in Jesus. Getting by is just not an option. Just being a believer, that's not enough. We're striving to become full disciples of Jesus, complete in our faith, not lacking anything. 
Allow me to pray for you today, church. I'm so proud of you, and I'm excited for next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Statistics and research would say this, that eight out of 10 people, when invited to come to Easter service, they will actually come. They just need the invite. So whether it's a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, whoever, I want to encourage you, would you invite someone to either tune in online or to come in person? Next Sunday is our first Sunday in person after a full year. Come on, somebody. We can't wait to be able to hang out with you. But I want to pray over you even right now as we wrapped up this time and we wrap up this preaching series. I want to pray for you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would just not just speak to your mind, but that he would continue to speak to your heart. We are not here to just get by. We're not here to survive. We're here to thrive. You are here. You were placed on this planet to reach people and to make a difference. So I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will just challenge all of us together. Allow me to pray. Father, we love you. And Jesus, we thank you that you came and you set the tone. You came and you found people. You found some dysfunctional people and you, you still love them and you poured your life into them. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to be your disciples. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a shift in our vision, a shift in our perspectives, that we would not just see life through our own lenses, but that we would choose to see life through your lenses. God, we want to be used by you to reach more people and to help people grow more. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage, the patience, the endurance, Lord God, to live selfless lives, Lord Jesus, just like you did. God, I pray a blessing over each one here today. Speak to us, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen and amen. We love you guys. God bless you guys. Pastor Elena, take it from here.